You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Today's episode is once again brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app. Join me when I host a show later on this week or possibly next week to get in on the action locker room. It's changing the way we talk about sports. I'll be talking about Kendrick Nunn's free agency, Kyle Lowry's relationship with Jimmy Butler, but I'll start off today's show with an important public service announcement regarding everybody's favorite heat center. No more dead man jokes. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Dwayne Deadman's Jersey, unfortunately misspelled in Wednesday's win over the San Antonio Spurs. The O at the end of the name was uh, replaced by an A, and of course then Twitter sleuths found the picture of the jersey and tweeted it out, and everybody kind of started building up uh, steam about it. He was asked about the the jersey misspelling in yesterday's press conference following the win, and he was not happy. Uh, Not... You know, not a direct quote, but basically paraphrasing something he said. I got into a lot of fights about that when I was a kid. So clearly is a name that is a touchy subject for him, somewhat sensitive to it, and understandably so. Like, it's his name. You know, you, you, we don't want to make jokes about Yanis Antetokounmpo and how it's pronounced. And, you know, we don't want to make jokes about people's names. I don't think anybody listening to this podcast wants to have their name misspelled in a form. I know, look, my, my wife is uh, Cuban. But her name is French, and it gets mispronounced all the time. And uh, I am not happy about it when it does, and I am a stickler for making sure people pronounce it correctly. And so I can understand Dwayne's perspective. If, let's just let's just not make any jokes about it because it seemed like it was pretty obvious that it was rubbing him the wrong way. So uh, you know, maybe he won't see the tweets, and maybe he will, and maybe he won't be happy. But let's let's try to let's try to placate. Our franchise center, right? I mean, here he is playing extremely well. uh, Had his best game in a Heat uniform against the Spurs where he scored 18 points. And it seems like everybody is still kind of buzzing about his performance. Should he start? Should he do this? Should he do that? And there's a lot of questions there. And I think it speaks to an overall larger conversation about Miami's talent level, which is a bit of a concern. But there is a question that I was uh, asked after yesterday's podcast, I did talk about Dwayne and his role there, but Dr. Phenomenal sent me a direct message yesterday and asked, Bam's offensive aggressiveness has been a big question all year, and I think there is a potential fix. As an undersized center, could spending an offseason with Chris Bosh and modeling his game off the Heatles version of Chris Bosh bring him to the next level as a superstar and improve the team significantly? Pairing an outside threat version of Bam with a Deadman-type offensive rebounder slash inside-oriented center seems like it take it could take the Heat to a different level. So thank you, first of all, Dr. Phenomenal, for sending in the question. And there's a lot to kind of unpack there. And I think that the big first step here is that we assume that Bam is going to be able to just arrange with uh, a workout session with Chris. Now, we know years ago that was supposed to be in the works. It's been a completely different world since then. And, and I don't know if you can hear this. I am recording at home, and it's springtime, and so there are birds all over the place looking to do what 
any animal does during springtime, really. And so they're creating nests, and I, I can't shake the, the birds. They're calling me at 6 o'clock in the morning. They wake up me and my son. They wake up the whole family. There's no way around it. The birds are everywhere. I feel like I'm in an Alfred Hitchcock film. As far as Bam working out with Chris Bosch, it was supposed to happen in the off-season of 2019, again, a long, long time ago. Then they add Jimmy Butler. When I interviewed Chris during that summer of 2019, he mentioned that, unfortunately, those workouts weren't able to happen. That was also the same summer where Bam went to Team USA and got you know left off the roster by Greg Popovich, which is partly why he's so pissed off at Miles Turner and Coach Pop to some extent. And Bosch was never able to work out with Bam. They had some minor workouts, but never like the full kind of workout. But what he explained to me was that he thought Bam needed to have more confidence, be more aggressive in looking for his outside shot. And we've seen it slowly build up from that point forward. But here he is in year four, and everybody's still somewhat frustrated about his lack of outside shooting and, of course, his aggressiveness, as Dr. Phenomenal pointed out. Now, Bam says it's not necessarily a, an aggression issue, but I'm not sure how much I buy that. His point is that, and I've made this con same contention uh, you know, on the podcast as well, is that he has to find a way to balance it. Like What we love about Bam, what we love about guys like Nikola Jokic, is that they can get plays going for everybody else. They are the offensive hubs for their respective teams. They initiate offense. They can make the right pass. They can create plays. They can get Duncan Robinson going, initiating dribble handoffs or setting the right screen or doing whatever they can in a pick and pop or pick and roll situations. Those things work so well because of Bam and his unique skill set. His role as a playmaker, I think, still trumps whatever we'd like from him as a quote-unquote aggressive scorer. Like if he's looking for his shot more often than he is looking to get everybody else going, Miami's offense will struggle. There has to be a balance, and look, he's still finding it, because I can see all of you already shaking your heads, and there's frustration there. There are moments in game situations where he has the ball in the high post, maybe 18 to 19 feet away, and he's looking at the rim, and he's looking for Duncan to break free of that second screen, or, or curl around the baseline and get open from the, the corner, or something like that, or he's looking for Kendrick to see if there's some off-ball movement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's trying to read the offense, the play as it's breaking down, as as players are moving, and where the right play, the quote-unquote right play, is going to happen or should happen from his perspective. And if that's the case, sometimes there's that pause there where maybe he waits a nanosecond, a millisecond too long for everybody's taste, and it's like, well, you're open. You're from 19 feet away. Shoot the damn ball. We know you can shoot it. But he's also looking to see if Duncan could get a three-pointer going. That's his priority. That's the priority of everybody on this team, This, which is why Jimmy passes up wide-open layups when he sees Trevor Ariza or Andre Iguodala in the corners. They're looking for the three-pointer because, well, it's a three-pointer. It's worth one more point if you knock it down. And that's just, I mean, that's the oversimplified version of what quote-unquote people have view as analytics, but, uh, you know, a three-pointer is worth more than a two-pointer. That's just basic math, too. It's that you don't have to be, uh, you know... And uh, sorry, what's his name? Maury, Daryl Maury from the Philadelphia 76ers. You don't have to be Shane Battier in order to understand that a three-pointer is worth more than a two-pointer. And so that's why they're looking for that extra point. Now, that's not to say that they shouldn't take the layup on occasion. There are many, many occasions where that wide-open layup is certainly much more helpful than a missed Iguodala three. That's just a reality. But I understand Bam's perspective is trying to get that guy going, trying to make the plays for Duncan, for Kendrick, for Trevor, for even for Jimmy on occasion, for Goron, for whomever he's sharing the floor with. And so there's that that point there where he's trying to find the balance. He's trying to find how it can work together. He has not gotten there yet. 
We're also talking about a player who's made such a substantial leap in his brief career. He is 23 years old. He is in his fourth season, his second season as a full-time starter. We cannot be frustrated with guys like this. Like there was a, I had this question in last week's episode uh, when I recorded a locker room episode. And, you know, I was asked questions about Bam's MVP candidacy. And, and you look at a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo, I mean, we kind of overlooked the fact that he's now in his what, eighth, ninth season. Like there's been a slow progression there. Plus he's played in Milwaukee. They haven't exactly been competing for Jackal over that time period. You know, they've been a decent playoff team. And sure, they've been a pretty good regular season team over the last couple of seasons. But prior to that, he was ready to do whatever they wanted. They, You know, they he was a lottery pick for a reason. They were not a very good team. This is not like Miami drafting the lottery and then bouncing back and being a playoff team the next, next year. Milwaukee just didn't have that kind of success for a prolonged period of time. And they certainly didn't get a player like Jimmy Butler who raised the ceiling to of the team to championship contention within one season. And so you look at what Bam's role was, fine. First of all, you know, he didn't start for two seasons, occasionally getting that start over Hassan Whiteside when Whiteside was hurt or something like that, and then making his first transition into full-time starter in his third season. Turned out pretty well. Miami went to the finals. They got Jimmy Butler. Bam became an all-star and an all-NBA defensive player. So, I mean... I think the progress is there, and I understand the frustration from a lot of you wanting to see more from him. There is more for him to reach. He will be the first to tell you, and I think like any superstar, he will also tell you that every offseason is going to be devoted to getting better, to stretching the floor, to taking his game to another level, but there has to be some kind of tempered, you know, adjusted realization there that he's not going to make those changes immediately. We've already seen more from him over the last season than we did in the prior three seasons as far as his ability to stretch the floor and things of that sort. So I, I think we need to pump the brakes just a little bit regarding our expectations with Bam. Now, I do want to talk about this a little bit more, but I'm going to go ahead and take a break here before getting into, again, Jimmy Butler's relationship with Kyle Lowry and some other questions regarding Dwayne Dedman. Remember, you're listening to Locked on Heat, and when you're done with this and you need some parts for your car or truck, make sure you go to rockauto.com. I've been telling you about it for a while. They're a family-owned business that have been serving online customers for 20 years. You can go on their easy-to-use website if you're looking for parts for your car or truck. It's so easy to use a website, so easy to navigate. You just make a few clicks, you find the right parts, get the same easy low prices for everybody, and you have those parts delivered directly and safely to your door. So if you go to rockauto.com right now, you can save money, you can save time, and you get exactly what you need. And when you place your order, Go to that section that says, how did you hear about us? And write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you. Because amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's rockauto.com. When you need fantasy basketball advice, it's important that you have a reliable source Nobody's more reliable than Josh Lloyd, the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get podcasts. Continuing my conversation from the first segment, I wanted to, again, wrap up the point that uh, was asked from Dr. Phenomenal about whether or not Bam could take another leap in his evolution uh, by working with Chris Bosh. So I, I kind of segued a little bit, uh, but I, I think the workout with Bosh is not necessarily a guarantee. One, I also don't think it's necessary. I think Bosch, 
you know, he's he's got his own things to work on now that he's retired. But I, I'm sure that there's no problem connecting the two. But I think Bam also knows exactly what needs to be done as far as continuing to develop and things like that. I think the coaching staff knows how to take that next step for him if he wants to make it. And he's going to slowly incorporate that aspect. My, my bigger point, though, however, is the fit with Dwayne Dedman. We're basically asking if we want to, first of all, the assumption would be that we could re-sign Dwayne Dedman and that at his age, he'll continue to be a factor next season. I don't know that that's part of the plan. Like I, I feel like we've seen the template over the last couple of seasons regarding Miami's approach to the offseason. They have some money. They want to save it for the right player. I don't know that they're going to spend that money on Dwayne Dedman. And they'll probably play a wait-and-see approach. And depending on how Dwayne plays over the next couple of months, I, I'm sure it, it's meant a lot to him that Miami was giving him an opportunity when nobody else would. Like he said it before, he was just sitting on the couch watching basketball, staying in shape, and then he comes into Miami and he's understood his role, and, and he appreciates the fact that there are some ties here from early on in his career when he played for the Summer League team before joining the Orlando Magic. Like that, Those things matter to players. It's like this is a team that gave me my first break, and because of them, I was able to become an NBA player for a couple of years now. And, and so that matters to individuals like Dwayne and others that have gone through that process. I don't know, I can't speak to his mindset regarding whether or not he'd prefer signing in Miami. I feel like he'd prefer signing with a team willing to pay him. If it's Miami, that's fine. If it's not, it's not. And, and we all have to, again, adjust our expectations regarding players because they're going to be chasing the bag because this is his last best opportunity to do so. We saw what happened last year. You know, he's not getting paid by anybody else. If, you know, you can't make it on, on the Sacramento Kings, if you can't make it on a cell dweller, you know, that's not to say the Kings are necessarily a cellar dweller, but they are a struggling team and they didn't even bring Dwayne back. And now all of a sudden he's thriving in Miami. That's, you know, for Dwayne, he has to come to the realization that maybe his NBA opportunities are drying up. This isn't Carmelo Anthony, who is still a big name, who still draws a lot of attention and, and I think brings certainly much more potent offense than Dwayne Dedman does. Dwayne Dedman can play a role and he's playing it expertly in Miami. I don't know that he's going to get a lot of opportunities outside of what Miami was able to present. Like even if the season ended today and we entered into a, a, a off season, I don't know that he's going to get a free agent contract. He'd still get a couple, you know, some buzz. It's like, oh, what about Deadman? Well, I could sign Deadman, or I could sign another young player as an undrafted free agent and give him an opportunity. That's just the way the league works, and it's unfortunate and shitty, and it's also just the reality that we all have to prepare ourselves well. Kudos to Miami for bringing in a guy like Dwayne Dedman, who I didn't necessarily see as being a, a, a good fit in Miami. I didn't know that he'd necessarily produce as well as he has. And they made the right call. They brought him in, and it's worked out for them. But if you're going to have – if you're going to start molding Bam to fit alongside Dwayne Dedman, I think that it's fool's gold. I, I don't – I would not want to – uh, change my player, my all-star level player, my future superstar, my building block for my franchise, and have him make accommodations to his game in order to play for Dwayne Dedman. And look, those are accommodations or changes to his game that will only help him, but you don't make those moves in mind because you all of a sudden have Dedman or don't have Dedman on the roster. Like, you want, you want Bam to stretch the floor because, hell, you want everybody to shoot to three. But you're also going to have to change the roster if you're going to have... Bam being more of an outside presence. Right now, that's obviously not a big part of his game. If he winds up stretching the floor, could he be better suited as a, a 
you know, floor stretching four, a, a stretch forward. You're basically asking him to shift into the Trevor Ariza slash Jay Crowder position that has been held over the last couple of years. And that kind of mitigates what Bam does well. Like he can't initiate offense from through a three point line. And he's not nearly as polished. Like, okay, I, I look, I know the Jokic comparison probably seems a little unfair. What Jokic has in passing ability, Bam has in athletic ability. And so he, he's, his game is more about getting to the rim, forcing his way, using that bully ball mentality that Jimmy Butler has recently spoke about. We've seen how good it is. We've seen how good Bam can be when he is determined to get to the rim. I just don't know that he's going to do so consistently, again, because that takes away a big part of his playmaking ability. So any kind of change to his game to become more of a floor-stretching big or things of that side probably will come at the cost of one of the other strengths of his game, the playmaking, the ability to see the floor, the things that he can do well. Bam is not going to be your 15 boards per game kind of guy. He's not Dennis Rodman, whose only job was to defend well and to pull down boards. Like that's the whole thing is that we, you know, it's easy to point at Rodman's incredible strength as an undersized center or forward or whatever because he was able to do things very well. First of all, he had the athletic ability that nobody talks about. He was never tired, and he was always, uh, you know, able to jump out of the gym. But he was also just focused on those aspects of the game. It you have to have somebody play the right role. Maybe the bigger question then is who who fits best alongside Bam? Like if Bam is going to continue to work in the paint, you know, and he's going to continue to initiate offense from the high post, if he's going to make he doesn't have much of a back to basket game, what's the best fit for, you know, playing alongside him? It's probably still a floor stretching a four, you know, a guy who can be a versatile defender, a Trevor Ariza type, a Jay Crowder type. I think that's the next best level for Miami. It's we've seen it before and it's worked. I don't know that we want to change Bam's strengths in order to make him just a bigger, better floor spacer. I, that's just that's just not how I see it. I, I, I know you could let you could let Deadman roam the paint, but I think Miami's offense kind of clogs down a little bit. Like I think Miami's best offense is having constant movement from the perimeter, guys who can you know swing the pass around and then stretch the floor. And then if you have to go inside, then you can go inside, which is, you know, it works well with, with Deadman and his size and everything else like that. But I don't know that you – I also don't think that you're going to get that kind of immediate leap from from Bam Adebayo. He's not going to take six threes per game next season and shoot at 38% in order to just, you know, allow Dwayne Deadman to share the floor with him. It's not that I'm necessarily pumping the brakes on the, the you know, the Deadman hype train. I just – I think we are at a point now where we're kind of jumping the shark a little bit. We've seen a lot of what – Deadman can do and we're saying oh let's let's try and get the most out of him let's see if we can build a better team around him like Deadman's a fun story I just don't know how sustainable this is moving forward now I was going to talk a little bit about Jimmy Butler and his relationship with Cal Lowry because I was not aware of this but apparently in a recent podcast if a sportscaster Lindsay Zarniak, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, she asked him about his relationship with uh, Kyle Lowry, and uh, they spoke about the fact that Kyle is actually Jimmy's daughter Riley's godfather. So I don't know if we knew that or not. I didn't realize that their relationship was that close. I know they forged a friendship being part of Team USA there, but uh, it's interesting to note that they were that close. I, I have to say... That kind of relationship probably puts Miami in prime contention to add Kyle as a free agent. Like, I think if that friendship is as strong, 
I know that a lot of people are looking at Lowry potentially joining Kawhi and the Clippers, maybe going to Philadelphia for the hometown connection. Maybe that maybe that surpasses the strength of his relationship with Jimmy. But, you know, asking asking a, a you know, there are 450 other players in the NBA. Like we all talked about his friendship with Dwayne and the reason why it, you know, Jimmy is a member of the Heat right now is because of that connection with Dwayne. But he reached out to specifically to Kyle Lowry and said, "Hey man, I want you to be the godfather to my daughter. Like that's that's an impressive connection there. I didn't realize they were that close. I would have to say if they're that close, there's a pretty good chance that Kyle Lowry signs here as a free agent next year. And that changes a lot of Miami's offseason plans there. I think you try to sign Kyle for a good deal. You probably try to re-sign either Victor Oladipo or Kendrick Nunn. I just don't think that you can sign both. And I guess given... Oladipo probably is a better player, but also the more expensive player. Even if he doesn't return this season, I think you probably wind up trying to make a deal for him. You try to get him at a decent contract, but I just don't know if that's also realistic. I don't know if that's what Victor's looking for. Again, I, I mean, we talked about this before in, in context of Dwayne Dedman. I think Victor Oladipo is always going to be looking for more money. Any NBA player, that's that's the name of the game, man. I think we have to be aware of that. Uh, we, we'd like everybody to take the hometown discount, but that's also not realistic. I just, I just found it interesting that that relationship is as close as it is. Look, it's not a given, but I imagine that based on the strength of that relationship, you probably could expect some Kyle Lowry to Miami rumors in the offseason. It makes a lot of sense. I think that it's a great fit here, and I, I don't see why you wouldn't want to consider having him on this roster. But, uh, you know, Kendrick is an interesting question as he approaches free agency, and some recent reports from Alex Kennedy makes it seem like other teams are interested in adding Kendrick to their roster as well. So I'll talk about it in the next segment. But first, I wanted to make sure you go to bet online because it's the fastest and easiest way to bet in all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This week has tons of sports action to, on the go as the NFL draft is on, even taking place right now as I'm recording this. Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info on all your sporting needs, including, again, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code locked on. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with a Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So the recent report that I was referencing came from Alex Kennedy of BasketballNews.com. Of course, our friend of the program, Nikaias Duncan, now an employee of BasketballNews.com, works with Alex. And this is what Alex had to say regarding Kendrick Nunn as a potential free agent, and moreover, what happened during the most recent trade deadline. Prior to the NBA trade deadline, uh, trade deadline, writes Alex, on March 25th, several teams tried to trade for Miami Heat guard Kendrick Nunn, league sources told basketballnews.com. Multiple teams inquired about Nunn's availability, and at least two of those teams have shifted their focus 
to pursuing the 25-year-old once he becomes a free agent this offseason. None will be a restricted free agent once the Heat extend a $4,736,102 qualifying offer. That's very specific. Judging by the number of teams that showed interest prior to the trade deadline and the fact that none is currently playing the best basketball of his career, he's expected to receive significant interest once free agency begins. Okay. So that is the full excerpt from Alex's piece there. And I call, well, let's just say I'm not calling BS. But I am challenging the source of this information. I don't doubt that it's properly sourced. I'm also going out on a limb and saying that this is probably information fed to Alex by Alex's, uh, I'm sorry, by Kendrick's agent. And that's fine. This happens all the time. This happens all the time. Agents are using media just like media are using agents in, in order to improve connections to get their players to get the right people to get the story get to you look you're all it's all about money it's all about the business of basketball as we all know as much as we love this sport and we love watching and and hope for our team to be successful etc there's always questions about money uh dogging everything and changing every approach and aspect to the game there's no way around that kendrick is looking to get paid and his agent can drum up some buzz that, you know, lots of teams are looking to re-sign their or, or you know, attract their his potential, uh, well, his client, who is a potential free agent, then he's going to do whatever is necessary. And he's going to leak some information to Alex and, you know, then he's going to get a nice write-up about it. It happens. You have to understand the game. This isn't to say that it's necessarily wrong. I'm sure some team wants to pay Kendrick Nunn. I don't know that Kendrick Nunn is going to be a much hotly pursued free agent at his age with his skill set. I don't know that anybody's going the name that our game is going to change completely. Once we sign Kendrick Nunn on our roster, like what team is looking to pay Kendrick Nunn a lot of money. I, I struggle to really think about that. I, and I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of options out there. It's not to say that he wouldn't be a bad fit, but you don't want to, what are you going to pay Kendrick Nunn? What is his value? And, and to Alex's contention about Kendrick's improved play of late, I also challenge that. I, I don't know that he's actually improved all that much. Like, he's playing fine. But I think we've seen over the last two seasons of his career what version of Kendrick we're getting. And I don't know that he's going to necessarily make that huge leap. Like, he's not as young as Bam, and there's certainly the possibility that he could, you know, continue to improve. He's, he's basically, he's almost 26 years old right now. You know, and, and while we've seen some incremental growth from Duncan Robinson, I think the baseline was so much lower for Duncan that there was only up, you know, th there was only up to go. He, he couldn't have, he couldn't have gotten worse. With Kendrick, like his athleticism is so superior. He's already a, a really good shooter. He's polished, you know, as a scorer. But I don't know that there's also that kind of versatility to his game that makes him appealing for other teams. You know, per 36 numbers, he actually is doing pretty similarly this season than he was last year. The one area of improvement as, as a three-point shooter. Now, he was shooting just as many threes last season, 7.2, as he is this season. Again, per 36 minutes, 7.1. Shooting them at 38% now as opposed to 35% then. His scoring's down overall. He just doesn't get to the line very often. And that's a problem with his game, too, is if you're going to look to a, as a scorer, you have to have that next step in your game. You have to have that ability to change the pace to to be able to draw fouls and I think he's just he's not that star level player yet I don't know that he ever will be but I think with those concerns in mind and you know a, a 
ironically enough, it was a point brought up specifically by Nikias when he was on this show a couple, a month ago, maybe, I want to say. He talked about Kendrick and he said, look, I think we all go through this process because it was right before the trade deadline where, you know, we kind of overestimate how other teams view our respective players. And, and he's right. You know, GMs know exactly who Kendrick Nunn is. And it's not just uh, a couple weeks of hot shooting in February that will make him say, you know what? Now I really want to pay Kendrick Nunn $15 million. Before that, before those last couple weeks, he was around the 7 to $8 million raise. But now I want to see him being a 15 to $20 million per year player. Like, who, who's paying Kendrick Nunn that kind of money? If the qualifying offer is $4.7 million, I don't think that's exactly the, the the right level either. I think you could probably talk yourself into paying Kendricks more around the the vicinity of eight to twelve. Even that feels like such a stretch. Like we're talking about Kendrick Nunn getting paid twelve million dollars a year. I, I just I don't know. I really don't know. Like I, I know I kind of termed this segment what Kendrick's value is, but I I think while he's made improvements on the margins. I don't think the basic idea of who he is as a player has changed. And given that, I don't know that he's going to make that much money as a free agent. Not that much money. I, I will be glad to be wrong for Kendrick to get paid, you know, $15 million a year from some other team. If he, he gets that deal, if he gets that back somewhere else and they feel comfortable with that deal and they're willing to offer it, go get it, Kendrick. Go get it. Like, you work to get to this point, I'm fine with that. I just... I don't necessarily want that to be the Miami Heat. What would I want Miami to pay Kendrick Nunn? Ideally, five to eight. Three years, team option in the third year. Give him a chance to renegotiate after Jimmy's deal is done. If if he makes growth, if he continues to grow, and significant growth, not you know on the margins, if he continues to grow over the next couple of seasons, let's say you re-sign Duncan Robinson, you bring in Kyle Lowry, you get a couple of other days. Maybe you bring back Trevor Reza and Dwayne Dedman or somebody else along those lines. You know, other veterans that can fill a need on this roster. You look at Kendrick and you say, look, we want to do right by with you. We, we traded for you because we saw star level potential with you. I just don't know that we want to get you that deal yet. Now, for Kendrick, maybe the payday comes down the road for him and maybe he's not willing to do that. Or maybe he wants more security of years. I'll always bring back the conversation about Jay Crowder. Jay's comments to media after last season when we were all riding the buzz, the magic of the bubble and everything else. And he's telling us as reporters, I had comfort in knowing that anywhere I was traded from Utah to Memphis to Cleveland to, you know, anywhere I was going to be traded, at least I had a contract. There was a stability in that, that you cannot overvalue. For Kendrick, it might be more important to get a five-year deal somewhere else. If he gets paid less money or even just slightly more money or comparable money, if he gets a five-year deal for what? What's a good value? Five-year, $35 million. Does Miami want to match that? Eh, five-year for 35 maybe, if they, again, have some flexibility with a player option. That's still a long time to commit to Kendrick Nunn. And I don't know what version of him we're going to see in five years from now. Could be better. Could be worse. It could be just the same. Could be just a guy. You know, at 31 years old, it, what kind of score is Kendrick Nunn going to be? I, I, I don't see it. I think the ideal deal for Miami is a two-year deal, a three-year deal with a player option. Not a, a, a prove-it deal, not a one-plus-one, but a, a three-year deal, two years, secured bag, $7 million, 
with a third year at the same deal, but a team option. So three for 21, third year team option. And if at that third year, you can negotiate somewhere else, you can you can raise his salary a little bit or maybe extend him for a four or five years, maybe have him play out the rest of his career in a heat uniform, then that's a, that's a good deal, I think. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if it's fair. Maybe I'm way off base here. I think there's no way of estimating what a player's value is in today's market. You're going to have some player make – a lot more money than they should, and you're going to have another player making a lot less than they should, and that's just a reality. My number, I would be comfortable with this team going 3-for-21 with a team option in that third year. Disagree? Agree? Maybe I'm way off base. Again, let me know. I'm curious to hear what you all have to think. As always, just a reminder, you can always reach me via email at LockdownHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to follow the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting this episode, and thanks to all of you. This is David Ramil signing off for now.